This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for November 1st, 2023. The NPC podcast is where we discuss and consider the pharma industry's purpose, process and people, and today, we'll continue the healthcare conversation. This program is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving, and Impress is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Impress tailored best-in-class solutions at www.impress.com. Our guest today is Fanny C. She is Head of Artificial Intelligence and Digital Health for Rush Canada, Pharma International Informatics, and is a founder of the One Rush AI Center of Excellence. She'll be speaking with your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch. And to start today's conversation, here's Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. Welcome back to the NPC podcast from the National Pharmaceutical Congress. I'm your co-host, Mitch Shannon. Back again live in our podcast gondola high atop Pill Hill, overlooking the famous intersection of Zoloft Promenade and the Robin Hunter Expressway, which, as you can see, is under construction. It's another crisp autumn afternoon in the gondola, and I'm enjoying a cup of mulled cider with our co-host, Mr. Mark McElwain, the pharma industry consultant, health policy expert, and man about Sudbury. Mark, you know what makes for a really good mulled cider? I, I think it's the cinnamon stick. Feel free to argue. You know, the Sudbury gig is over. I'm back in Toronto. But when I was up there, I did have a few mulled ciders. And so my theory about that is that it's the cold, the incredible cold that creates the environment for mulled cider. I mean, why else would you want to consume uh, bad wine that's been adulterated with sugar and cinnamon? It doesn't seem like a good idea, even like in October. But, you know, come January, February, I'll probably be there again. Especially when the alcohol's basically been boiled off, right? So there you go. Something to do with apple harvest season. But as you can hear, along comes James Shea, the general manager of the Council for Continuing Pharmaceutical Education in Montreal. Jim, it's almost as if you were drawn into the gondola on this crisp autumn afternoon by the aroma of the mulled cider. Actually, I did smell the cinnamon in the air. I got very, very excited about the potential for a warm St. Cinnamon or or a Cinnabon with a cold glass of milk. But I live yet another disappointment. All right. Well, we are your autumnal podcast hosts, known as Jim, Mark, and Mitch, because all the resonant brand names have already been claimed, such as Truth Social, Virginia Slims, and Roche Global Informatics. And on that note, we're honored to welcome to the gondola a person with the longest job title in the history of podcasts, Fanny C., Fanny, you are the head of AI and Emerging Technology External Collaboration M&A Partnering. Couldn't you ask ChatGPT to create a shorter job title for you? Yeah, I've had this discussion over multiple presentations and panel discussions. I'm like, I'm about partnerships and collaboration. That's all I do. So I'm just out there trying to make friends with organizations who want to do transformational digital health related applications to help patients get better care faster. So anybody who wants to join us, we welcome 
this cohesion and we welcome people to be at the table with us to ask the hard questions and solve the hard challenges. Awesome. Well, I can see the welcome back Cotter crew saying, me, me, pick me. But before that, can you tell our listeners about your journey and how you uh, went from being a clinician and a researcher to a business development professional in the field of AI and digital health? Uh, my journey has not been a predictable one. And I think if you asked me in the beginning of my life what my roadmap would look like, I think it would have been very different. I think the reason why I started where I was was because I'm, I've always been passionate about patients. My parents are clinicians. And so at the dinner table, we would talk about biology and medicine and why people get sick and all the underlying mechanisms of the how, the why, and, and how people get better. And when I went into the clinic as a radiation therapist, I was at Princess Margaret for about eight years treating patients for cancers all over the body. So I specialized in head and neck, but then also was treating breast and pediatrics, prostate, liver. And I felt like when we were in the clinic doing research, spending all of our time on developing new technologies that would enable better care for tumor targeting, for post-care, complication management, I just felt like the research was so far ahead of what where we were actually practically in the clinic. You know, I would go into the waiting room and flip the sandwich board that said, we're going to be 15 minutes behind. Or I would approach patients with a pencil and a clipboard and be like, you know, here, can you fill this out? I know you've probably filled the same form out five to 10 times, but we need it for our system so that we can manually enter it. But in the worlds of papers, we always found things like, you know, artificial intelligence, digital twins, augmented reality, and I never saw it. And I didn't understand why. So I went to business school out of frustration. I never wanted to study business. I was never really interested in it. But then I thought, you know, it's probably because research isn't actually getting translated to the market because of some business interaction, whether it be investment or an industry receptor wasn't there to catch it. And when I realized and when I came out of doing you know, a business master's was I knew all the words, but I didn't understand the practice. And, you know, I, I could wear the suit. And at the time I was carrying Blackberry with everybody, but, you know, we were talking about case studies, but that wasn't about really learning the street sense about how to bring technologies into the market from a engagement perspective, because healthcare is very complicated. And when you want to scale innovation, you need to bring everybody to the table, patients, clinicians, administration, government relations, regulatory. And so I started advancing into other companies in the industry to get some experience. And that included working for a Swedish company called Electa that deployed very novel and fantastic technologies around tumor targeting and, and radiation oncology. And so I was implementing digital solutions like image guidance platforms and EMRs all over the world. And I understood the village that it takes to implement new technologies. And then I went into diagnostics. I worked for Life Labs and I understood how there were so many things that were available for diagnosis, but weren't necessarily available to the patient out of OHIP. They were things that were available to people 
if they paid out of pocket or if their insurance covered it. And then I went over to Canada Health InfoWay where I started working with policymakers on deploying digital solutions for not 5% of the population, but for 95% of the population. And that was completely different than when I had worked at Mars Innovation, where we were looking at the top inventions across all the major hospitals and universities, trying to deploy some of the leading edge solutions, but they were really only targeted towards academic centers. So getting a feel for all the different types of people and organizations, I understood that ecosystem development was super key. And that is what drew me to Roche. Roche is an organization that believes in partnerships, collaborations across the public and private sector, so that multiple perspectives and multiple multidisciplinary opinions can be brought together to unify how to bring a innovation that is impactful from concept to scale. And that's what I've been working on, and particularly in the area of AI and emerging technology. Well, as a Montrealer, I listened to that route you've taken, and it sounds like the intersection of the Don Valley Parkway and the 401, where a thousand lanes come together. <laughs> so, okay, so you're now you're in the Roche lane. You're head of artificial intelligence, digital health at Roche Canada. Are you able now to share some of the key initiatives that you've been involved in that are transforming healthcare? Yeah, I can tell you how we started. And I joined just shortly before COVID. And what ended up happening was that everybody was in a panic. It's like those months were a number of phone calls where we would call our closest friends in our organizations and outside our organization saying, what are we going to do? This isn't just two weeks of non-traveling. This is for real. I'm still at home. I have to wear a mask. I am so paralyzed in my own lifestyle that this can't be our life forever. I feel like I just walked into a Netflix film. And so a number of organizations got together and said, you know what? Let's just dissolve all of the walls between us. I have data scientists. And then somebody would be like, I have data infrastructure. And somebody else would be like, I have you know, an analysis engine and I have clinicians. So we kind of created almost like a, an ecosystem potluck where everybody would contribute in kind. And we were going to try and create analytics to solve capacity management issues for Canada and for the world. And we did that with 14 organizations in two weeks time deployed one of the largest data sets that was, was population-based for COVID out into the world via the Kaggle platform. And we brought some of the top, both public and private uh, solutioners, scientists, researchers to that platform to come up with digital solutions that were open and could be shared across the world. And so that led to us really understanding the value of open data. You know, we always talk about sharing data. Sharing data is important. Yes, of course it is, but we can't always point to the impact, but we showed through COVID that there is impact and we could solve big health problems in a very short period of time and mobilize these insights to, in the case of COVID, pandemic task forces all over the world. And so we helped to inform 
testing strategies in Ireland, reopening practices in Algeria, and also social distancing practices during Ramadan in Pakistan. So we created an AI center of excellence that brought together some of the same stakeholders, and that includes the Pan-Canadian AI Institutes that we are very proud of, that include Vector, Mila, and Amy, the houses of Jeffrey Hinton, Yoshua Bengio, and Richard Sutton. And we started throwing open innovation challenges around therapeutic areas. Why wait for a pandemic? So we did this in ALS, and we also did this in rare conditions. And the data that we are deploying are proactively consented by patients. It's in the case of rare conditions, and ALS is also a rare neuro condition. It's like, I want to share my data. I want to work with a top-notch scientist that wants to breed impact. So they can analyze my data and then share it with me to hopefully better manage my care, the community of people that are is around me, but also further the science uh, in a very collaborative and, and open environment. And so that's mainly the focus of what we do. We source innovation. We identify the big challenges. We bring them together and we try to scale what works. Super interesting. I just have one clarification on my own timeline in that. So did One Roche AI Center for Excellence start before COVID or was did COVID accelerate that process? The center of excellence was really a scaling of what we learned in COVID. So our panic attack in COVID led to our business and operating model. So, you know, I would like to say that we had a, a perfect roadmap. We had this amazing sprint where everybody got together and came up with this amazing diagram. No, it happened very organically. And we're like, this works. Let's scale it. Fanny, it's Mark. So let's bring this down to specific patient outcomes. And I wonder if you could provide an example of how Roche is using AI and related emerging technologies to improve patient outcomes. Absolutely. I think that there are some really interesting practices that are happening in diagnosis. Our particular targets in looking at diagnosis is being able to diagnose people better and more accurately. And by looking at a wealth of data, we are looking to see things that are monitored on a daily basis. So let's say the biopsy. The biopsy is definitive. However, it's not something you can do on a repeated basis without causing costs, complexity, as well as potential extra things that the patient needs to manage on a day-to-day basis. It's just not very comfortable. And so if we are able to extract data from people, such as their respiratory patterns, the way that they look on video, the way that they speak, the way that they walk, and we're able to take those patterns and extract a risk profile of a person potentially having a chronic condition, then we potentially can input prevention methods such that they never get to that complex state. So there are advances in diagnosis, but also with those advances gives people the ability and autonomy and agency to do something so they potentially may not get to a complex state. 
in the area of drug discovery, where we're taking a lot of the processes up front that ended up being very costly and time consuming and making them a little bit more effective and efficient by putting those processes in silico models. And that just means a computer is able to ingest a variety of data and is able to tell us where the most promising targets and lead compounds could be such that we take those prioritized assets and then put the investment and them to not only shorten the time to drug discovery to get those solutions to patients, but also for us to ensure that we are getting the best drugs to patients. So Roche is a global company, and yet, you know, there are regional differences in terms of the data and the attitudes to information. And I'm just wondering if you can highlight some of the regional differences and challenges you've encountered while deploying a digital health solution. I think digital health solutions have both benefits and challenges depending on what geographies you apply them to. If you apply them to, let's say, a academic center where there is a wealth of resources, a wealth of expertise, and the ability to have a diversity of cases, the complexity, if not leaned into, can lead to a standstill. And I think we've all been part of these initiatives where there are so many organizations that you almost have analysis paralysis. There's so many minds and so many voices that you can't get to consensus and action. However, if you're able to coordinate these collaborations in a way that is cohesive and clear, then you might be able to reach a scale that is transformational. When you go to areas where there may not be as many choices, there may not be as many voices, there may not be the same type of restrictions or constraints, because often these areas have a governance body where the same people are often governing a number of different departments or disciplines and can gain consensus faster. The other thing with, let's say, geographies that have limited resources is they often welcome collaboration across border so that a number of regions can come together and leverage each other's superpowers. And so they can be more nimble and potentially move forward faster in an agile way but may not reach the scale if they don't share their learnings with the bigger jurisdiction. That's what we've seen so far. You're listening to Fanny C., the AI guru at Roche. I've just shortened your title, Fanny, here on the NPC podcast. So integrating AI into the healthcare ecosystem ain't going to happen without a few bumps in the road. What challenges and opportunities have you encountered globally and locally as well? I think the opportunities right now are phenomenal because I think with the launch of foundational models like LLMs, I mean, you can't go a day without somebody mentioning chat GPT or any of the open AI assets. I think it has allowed people this ultimate accessibility that we've never seen in technology before. 
where everybody, every age group, every discipline is using it in their everyday life. And with that, you have a massive influx of use cases where you could see the potential impact of a technology in different disciplines. And I think being able to identify which applications are the most impactful will help us prioritize what we want to scale in the system in order to reach large scale patient impact. So I think I see that as a massive opportunity and um, one that I think we have to be very good listeners in. And I think that also speaks to the challenges that exist because Technology at times can be a victim of the hype cycle, right? I think there are a number of technologies that we've all heard about where we expected it to transform the world exponentially. And it did from an investment standpoint, but never actually made you know a tangible impact in various sectors and more specifically in the healthcare system where things are a little bit more conservative and we need reliability, and minimal risk. And so I think we as a community have to be very cognizant of which applications AI is actually useful for and worth the heavy lift. Every time we scale something in artificial intelligence, it is going to be a very heavy lift from the solution development to the productization, to the overall reception into the system where it will require policy changes and regulatory approvals and system adoption. So I would say that's going to be a challenge because it's hard for us in general to prioritize. And everybody has a different challenge depending on what region you're in and also, you know, what market you represent, as well as what discipline you're part of. So I see that as being a major issue, but also because it's an emerging technology, the system itself is dynamically changing to understand this technology, but then also to determine the appropriate conditions for it to be impactful. And so we talk about things like responsible or ethical AI, Just because we can do something scientifically doesn't mean we should. And we have to figure out what that value system is as a country and more generally, but also as an organization. Well, it's uh, Jim here, and I'm going to sip on some Coke Zero developed by AI. We're in an era where if you don't have AI in your marketing, your title, you're kind of gone. And you talked about the point about hype. So, you know, if we eliminate some of the hype stuff and whatever, For you personally, what are some of the most exciting emerging technologies in the healthcare area related to AI? I would say for me, my personal mandate is all about health equity and health accessibility, health service accessibility. I think everybody has a right to healthcare and I think everybody has a right to a certain level of healthcare. And so for me, these digital tools are going to be able to get to people who haven't been gotten to before, you know, and and we're going to be able to see people practice empowerment over 
the care of their own lifestyle. So imagine, you know, you're walking through your house and doing what you do every day. And there's all these sensors around you that are passively extracting all of this data from you, the way you speak, the way you walk, the way you breathe, the way you look. And it's going to say, you know what? I think you need to drink some more water because you're a little bit dehydrated right now. Or, you know what? I think you need to have a little bit more vitamin C because, you know, it's flu season and we're seeing some drops in your vital signs or some, some indications. And I think it's that push towards patient or citizen autonomy that is going to keep people out of those complex care settings. And we're not going to have to be worried about what line we need to get into and how long that line is. Because to me, that is the lines are too long. And I, you know, I'm prepared to, to ensure that, you know, the people around me are safe. But if we don't have to get into a line, I would much prefer that. Fanny, you were a panelist at the recent National Pharmaceutical Congress end of summer webinar called Pharma Adapts to AI, What's Next? And, you know, it was a good event. It was well attended. You know, it may have been more of an eye-opener for us than for you, but I was wondering what were the takeaways you have from that event? Yeah, I think one of the main takeaways that I had after that event, I thought about it a lot after we had discussed it, it's the reflection of the future of work. I think right now everybody is talking about AI more in isolation, sort of a, we need to learn this. This is going to be part of our everyday life. You know, we need to upskill. But I actually think we're not even going to be talking about it anymore. We're not going to be putting it in our titles, such as my long title. (laughs) (laughs) But it'll be part of the very fabric of everything we do. And it will just be a tool that we have access to every day. And we will have to figure out where it makes most sense. We don't have to use it for everything, but we'll be able to determine where in our workflows it helps us to do our job better. And then I also think it will help us to remove some of the administrative burdens that we have every day so that we can push ourselves into higher level cognitive function which just means, in my mind, it's the art of the idea, the philosophical and the creative. Computers right now are really good at synthesizing large amounts of information that it can present to you. I think it's really good at taking a lot of information and creating connections that we may not otherwise have seen. But I think at the end of the day, We are the ones who understand or at least can ideate over the most important hypotheses or questions. And then once we actually carry out an experiment to look at the results and say, I think the next question should be this, right? So it's that way of thinking that is not being taken away from us. But I think, you know, Who's to say we won't go full circle 
and have like, you know, like back in the day where people sat down in a big forum and just thought all day. Why is that not a possibility? Maybe it is a possibility because we can get to the next questions faster. Everybody complains. I have no time to think. I'm just pushing paper. I'm reading this. I'm reading that. In the good old days, there was time to think. And I think back about the calculator. My parents were horrified by the fact that we were going to use calculators. But I mean, in my chemistry and my physics courses and whatever, we were so far ahead because we didn't have to do manual calculations down to whatever. So th this is it. It's a, you know, use it as, as a tool in accelerating what we're doing in the future. Very interesting. Okay. So as we wind down our podcast, Fanny, we're going to invite you to play our word association game. So just go ahead and say the first thing that comes to mind in response to each of the following phrases or words. So are you ready? Sure. It sounds good. And it cannot be chat GPT aided. <laughs> okay. I'll have to put my creative hat on. <laughs> okay. Artificial intelligence. Now. Digital health. Required. Healthcare. Broken. Innovation. Moonshots. Digital transformation. Accelerate. And collaboration. Human. Wow. Now, Mitch, is our new tote board for this uh, AI powered or this is just we're working on? Fanny broke the tote board. Yeah, I mean, look at that. Right to the top. That was more than a Googleplex of points for those. The, the truth was there. I loved it. <laughs> like a haiku. <laughs> that, there you go. <laughs> That's actually now the largest number we can imagine. A haiku. So, uh, you know, finally... It's time to put on your soothsayer's hat and enter into our prognostication corner. And you can see by the sign that corners uh, spelt with a K because, you know, uh, C has no corner in it. Think about that, you know, this philosophical. So, uh, you know, March 2020, you know, I wish I was asking you, uh, I guess like the end of February 2020, you know, before one Roche AI Center of Excellence was created, but because, uh, you know, I would ask myself, would you come up with that as an answer in the prognostication corner? So, you know, let's ask the question now and see what you come down with, and maybe it'll be uh, some kind of new thing that you're going to be heading up. So, uh, you know, what bold predictions can you make about the health sciences and life sciences industry during the upcoming 12, 24, or so many months going forward? I think you're going to see a level of collaboration that has been unprecedented. I think what ChatGPT did was showcase that sharing openly a technology with the world can actually show where priorities can be identified in reaching impactful solutions. I think it not only has benefits for the people who are using it in the healthcare system in terms of patient outcome, but it also helps with health system delivery and also how industry is able to build business models to feed into this type of technology. Our ability to rapidly prototype, identify solutions, and then get it into the system to reach something impactful, I think will be accelerated by a hundredfold. 
I think scientific discovery on the sort of conceptual side of thing will be will be unprecedented in our ability to release biological insights on specific conditions. And our regulatory and reimbursement bodies and policies are going to be iterated at unprecedented rates because the risk would be too high not to, given the discoveries that are coming at such a rapid pace. And the awareness of the public on this very short life cycle of discovery to product will put pressure on the system in order to to make all of this happen quickly. So I think everybody is kind of in the same pressure cooker in order to make it happen. And for that reason, people will have to collaborate across multiple sectors uh, between the public and private, as well as across different disciplines. So that's what I feel like is going to happen. The other or the antithesis to that would be we can't get ourselves together. We don't end up um, ensuring this kind of safe environment for innovation, and we end up in a standstill. But I think we're headed towards the former. I think there is enough push from and pull from each of the stakeholders for us to work together in a cohesive way, because we know if we don't, it will affect our ability to deliver healthcare and it will compromise the safety that is required to ensure our trust with patients. Well, folks, yeah, I think that's uh, one of the most bold uh, predictions we've ever heard, a two order of magnitude change. And I hope that it uh, it actually does happen. That, that'd be great. Well, Fanny, our algorithms predict come what may, we'll be chatting more frequently about AI, ML, and all things digital in the months ahead. And I look forward to continuing these discussions with you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. I had a great time discussing the future. It helps me feel very promising and excited about what's to come. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Not at all. It's our pleasure. And if you happen to be around on November 22nd, come and join me and the boys at the live National Pharma Congress uh, at uh, the Mississauga Convention Center. I know that the topics we discussed today are going to be on the agenda at NPC. So check it out and register at www.pharmacongress.info. And to all of our friends out there in podcast land, we thank you for listening. We'll speak with you again next week. If you've got questions for Fanny or a comment about AI in the life sciences, please send an email to health at chronicle.org. We always want to know what you think about our discussions. Send us your comment as a voice clip attachment, and hey now. You might just become part of a future episode. We hope you enjoyed today's NPC podcast. If you did, please like it. Rate it. Recommend it and make a point of sharing it with your network. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, or, to keep things simple, just ask your smart device to play the National Pharmaceutical Congress podcast on Audible, Spotify, Amazon Music or TuneIn Radio. The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. Check them out at www.impress.com. In case you're wondering, I'm your announcer, Leona Void, speaking. 
This podcast was produced by Jeremy Visser, with help from that deft hand at dial adjustments, John Evans. Research for this program came from Sydney John Baptiste. The musical theme is performed with the usual zeal by the NPC Podcast Orchestra, under the direction of Maestro Ballard Milbrook. We'll be back to speak with you again next week.